When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 216, and we're recording on January 28th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Worthington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and the 17 millionth month of January. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, I'm on the struggle bus. (laughs) January just makes me tired, I've discovered. Why? Why is it still happening to me? (laughs) It's happening to all of us, obviously, but I keep seeing these memes on Instagram that are like, January is actually eight months long. You're welcome. And I'm like, thank you. I thought mm. that it was only me who thought mm. that it just, you know, like Christmas Eve was only like a, a month ago. Isn't that bananas? It is. Anyway, that's my rant. I'm really excited for January to be over. <laughs> okay, so how the show works. This is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading recommendation for yourself or your book club or for a gift or whatever, you can send those to us. You can email them to us at getbooktobookguide.com or you can drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. The site, of course, being bookguide.com. Um, if your request is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line. If you're using the form, put it in big letters, first line of the of the request so that we will get to it on time. We ask for your email so that we can email you back if we're not going to answer your question on time or if we have already answered it on the show. Or if you asked us in 2016 and we missed it, whoops, we're getting to those. Right now. Sorry <laughs> about that. You probably already found a book to read, but like, look, we have ethics. We're ethical over here. <laughs> Um, okay, so we do have a few items of feedback. Let's see. Wendy says, this is for Emma, who is looking for an LGBTQ Evelyn Hugo read-alike. I'd recommend Survived by Her Longtime Companion by Chris Painter. It is fabulous. No audiobook, unfortunately. Um, Miranda says, for the advanced seventh grader in search of murder mysteries. Um, this was also me at one point, and I love the Mont- hmm, Montmorency series by Updale. I also loved Wilkie Collins, The Moonstone, and The Woman in White. And if you really want to go for it, Into the Woods by Tana French. Co-sign the Wilkie Collins. I think that's, mm-hmm. a, good, that's a good one. Um, and then finally, Katie has a recommendation for Michelle, um, who mentioned that she likes to pair her reading with travels. And I couldn't pass up the opportunity to recommend The Living by Annie Dillard for your Pacific Northwest trip. It's a multi-generational historical novel spanning several decades in the 1800s. All right. Jen's going to read our first question. We're going to talk about our first sponsor, and then away we will go. It's very long, so Jen's probably going to sum up our first question. (laughs) Yeah, we'll sum it up. But side note, how did I not realize that Annie Dillard had a novel? I've only ever read her nonfiction. I didn't know she had a novel either until right this minute. Thanks, Katie. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. Yeah, that's going on my TBR. Okay, so our first question is from Emily, who did send in a very long question. Let's see. How can I summarize this? So uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter who would like to start reading more books, but she hasn't found anything she likes since reading through the Warriors series. And then there's a list of a bunch of things that this daughter has tried is not into. She wants a big saga that is not about romance and is interested in 
relationships between slash among people and prefers stories where multiple species slash types interact. Right now, I have her trying out the Becky Chambers Long Way series. We'll see how that goes. Not interested in Murderbot. Doesn't like mysteries. Uh, Persnickety around music and books. And then there's a bunch of other things that uh, poor Emily has tried that have worked with varying degrees of success. Uh, So let's see. Um, Oh, also... There's a note. I read lots of books I shouldn't have when I was 14. She's in ninth grade and they read The Hot Zone in school and she didn't break. So it's fine to pick from the entire universe of books. Okay, so first sponsor time. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal. Join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023 so suffice to say y'all should check this new one out thanks again to thirsty by jazz hammonds for sponsoring this episode today's episode is brought to you by bloom books diana dixon has a busy summer and no time for tall gorgeous hockey player shane's shenanigans because you know what if they shenan once they'll shenan again. So she thinks she knows exactly who he is when he moves into her apartment building, but turns out Shane's sick of hookups and tired of being on the rebound after his long-term girlfriend called it quits. But when his ex comes back into the picture, he needs a plan. And who better to play his new girlfriend than his sassy new neighbor? So a fake relationship might be perfect for Diana's own ex issues, but Diana is used to living by the rules. Will she learn that when it comes to love, Rules are meant to be broken. Make sure to check out The Dixon Rule by L. Kennedy. L. Kennedy is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author with over a million copies of her books sold. So this is going to be another banger, y'all. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Amanda, what do you have for this persnickety 14-year-old? Very all aren't all. I mean, fourteen-year-old yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I picked the Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe by F. C. Ye. And the list of books that you said that your daughter liked, there was. Um, I think I got stuck on like the Animal Saga. Also, the thing where she prefers stories where multiple species slash types interact. So, the Epic Crush of Jeannie Lowe is so much fun. Jeannie Lowe is a teenager in the Bay Area who is like very Type A. She's an Ivy League hopeful. She's really focused on like crushing her college entrance exams or her college applications. Um, her her situation in her school is a little bit different because her family is not as well off as a lot of the other kids that she's surrounded by who have access to a lot more college prep material than she does. Uh, she is also herself like a very, very tall girl and gets teased for that a lot. She plays volleyball, so she takes advantage of her height, but um, she doesn't like fit in 
physically or even like kind of socially into her group and then a new kid at school shows up his name is quentin and he's like super weird he speaks in a very formal um like form of english uh he always like appears next to her at awkward times and she doesn't understand um why he's there or like what his deal is and then her hometown comes under siege from all of these demons like literal demon, magical, mystical demons um, who are coming like straight out of Chinese folklore. And she realizes, Jen, uh, Jeannie, Jeannie Lowe realizes that she has like super strength and the ability in this very tall body that she's always felt kind of gangly in to fight these demons. And also this dude, Quentin, is there a lot. Why? Like what's happening? It's almost, it's got like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer thing going on. We're like, oh, my city's on a Hellmouth. Cool. I didn't, that's great. I just want to pass this freaking test. Why am I involved in this? Um, and then you find out, and it's early on, it's not a spoiler, um, that Quentin is actually the Monkey King from Chinese mythology and Jeannie Lo herself is wrapped up in his existence and um, that particular folk, uh, folk tale in a way that is like very shocking that I will not go into it because that is a spoiler and it's like hard to wrap your mind around. But there is, you know, that multiple species i mean he's a monkey like a, a god monkey but he's still a monkey so there's multiple <laughs> species interaction um and he doesn't like show his monkey face to her parents or whatever but it's still it's there it's happening um uh, and it's like really funny and modern um and yeah i think that if she liked the animal saga books then i think that this one might strike a chord so that's the epic crush of genie low by fce yeah, this is tough. You've tried a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I am going with Cast in Shadow by Michelle Sagara, which is the first of the Chronicles of Elantra series, which is in the double digits now. So if she actually likes it, fingers crossed, there is a lot more there for her to read. Um, this first book comes with trigger warnings for harm to children and graphic violence, but you said that it was fine to pick things that were adult slash whatever. So I did. Um, and the reason I picked this is because, yeah, your daughter is interested in interspecies relationships in fantasy worlds, it sounds like. And that is very much what this is about. It takes place in a world where there are, like... People who are also hawks and people who are also dragons and people who are also like felines of various kinds and then people who are like vanilla human people and there's magic and there's crime um, and the main character Kaylin used to be like a street kid and has now become a sort of a magic cop as it were and she is very much like she's cranky she's always getting into trouble for not following procedure like it's a very sort of classic mystery in that sense and i know you said that your daughter doesn't like mysteries per se but again i think that the interspecies and the magic part outweigh the mystery part of this and maybe it will work for her um and the plot of this first one is that children are dying remember trigger warning harm to children um in really gruesome ways and it looks like they're being sacrificed to for some horrible magical ends and they're street kids and so she feels personally involved in this and then it turns out maybe there's things from her past that are tied into the case, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that it's a really fascinating world that you definitely get sucked into. And Killen is a great main character and there's a lot of stuff going on here. And yeah, I, I mean, it seems unclear to me 
exactly which bits of the interspecies stuff your daughter is into. I mean, because it's also unclear to you. It's hard when they're persnickety. This is just a truth. Um, but hopefully something in here will grab her. And like I said, there's like, you know, dozens at this point of books in this series. So if she likes it, there's lots more. So again, that's Cast in Shadow, the first in the Chronicles of Elantra by Michelle Sagara. Okay, our next question is from Anonymous, who says, My girlfriend's therapist recommended that she find a book with characters that she can identify with, but I'm having trouble finding one for her. I need a fantasy novel audiobook with a trans woman character as a major part. She likes the books like Lord of the Rings, N.K. Jemisin's Inheritance Trilogy, and Brandon Sanderson. Own voices preferred, and other trans identities are okay if you can't find a trans woman. The closest I found was the Tensorate series, but the audiobook wasn't great. Content warning for body horror and bad things happening to cats, which is my favorite request for a content warning that I've ever got. I love it. Um, I also don't want to read about bad things happening to cats or any animal. Um, So I picked No Man of Woman Born by Anna Mardal, which I almost did not pick because I didn't think it was an audiobook, but it is. Yes. This pump. Um, So this is a collection of short stories, seven short stories, all of which are a retelling of a uh, familiar myth or fantasy story or trope that we're all familiar with based around prophecies with gender, queer, and trans characters. So not every story is about a trans woman, but there there, you know, there are stories about trans women and um, other gender identities in the book. Um, Anna Mardal is not trans, but she is gender fluid. Um, and my favorite, I do, I loved this so, it's so clever. And like every story comes with content warnings in the header and also pronoun pronunciation guidelines. Um, so I won't give you all the content warnings because there's a lot for, and they're different for each story, but you can, you'll hear them as you're going through. And then if you don't want to, you know, you can skip the story as they apply. My favorite content warning was one for um, magical curses, which I just love that that implies that they're real. Like that, mm. that's so great. Like, oh, I love it. Uh, my So my favorite short story here is a retelling of Sleeping Beauty with a gender fluid character who like, who wakes up the princess. She, when she's born a princess, she wakes up, she has girl days um, and boy days. And so when the curse is like enacted, you know, when Sleeping Beauty, when Maleficent comes and says she's going to prick her finger on the blah, 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 blah and die. Or sleep forever. Um, so that's the curse, right? Like, she's going to prick her finger before she turns 16. The kingdom is going to fall asleep until true love's kiss comes. And the problem is, and that's what happens, but then he wakes up on one of his boy days because that the, the prophecy specified she. And so when he's having a boy day, he wakes up and is like, well, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> like, everyone's asleep. And like, I'm here. There's no true love. Like, how do I solve this? And then he has to go and like solve the problem. It's so clever and fascinating. Um, and they're just very like, oh, yes, they're very satisfying. They have all of the my favorite, like, really high fantasy tropes. There's a lot of dragons, lots of dragons, lots of witches, um, like evil queens, evil kings. It's very satisfying and like scratches all these really feel good fantasy familiar story kind of itches so that's no man of woman born by anna martel that sounds amazing it's so good (laughs) (laughs) definitely gonna have to read that uh i picked dreadnought by april daniels which is the first in the nemesis series and the main character danny tozer is a trans female teen who got gender confirmation while also acquiring superpowers because she happened to be in the right place at the right time to absorb a dying superhero's powers totally by accident. Like, this was not Danny's intention. Um, so, you know, one minute Danny has the body that she was born with, and the next minute Danny has the body that she has always dreamed of. But now she has to go home and, like, be like, hi, mom and dad. What's up? Like, and then go to school and, you know, try to figure out how to manage 
her transition in that way. And also, she's got superpowers, which is amazing and also really scary and weird. And so... Oh, I love this book so much. It is an own voices book, and it deals so smartly with all of the baggage of transitioning, but also that's kind of not the point of the story. Like, there is an epic villain, and Danny has to, like, figure out how to help take down the epic villain while also dealing with just, you know, daily life. Um, and I will give a warning for uh, transphobia. There are some turf characters in the book, and then also Danny's parents are not supportive to the point actually her father is I would consider emotionally abusive so that's a little rough but uh but it's so great and oh watching Danny own her powers and figure out like how to use them and what she can do and what she cannot do and you know find her people ooh it's really good i i just this book gave me all the good feels and i really enjoyed it and it does tackle like i said a lot of serious issues but maintains a very enjoyable fun, light pace. Um, I did, I, I listened to like a little sample of the audiobook and it sounded good. I don't know, like, you know, <laughs> you do you. I don't know how the audio preferences, but it sounded good to me. So again, that is Dreadnought by April Daniels. It's the first in the Nemesis series. All right. Our next question is from Ashley, who says, I'm looking for some books to give one of my friends for their birthday. They love sci-fi and told me some of their favorite authors are Isaac Asimov, Sijin Liu, Michael Crichton, Ted Chung, uh, Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, this friend has told me they've read quite a bit by Machado and really enjoyed The Three-Body Problem. Do you have recommendations for sci-fi in this wheelhouse? Amanda, your turn. Okay, so I – this was, like, a very specific request. So I kind of latched on to the, the, like, weird queerness of Machado and the aliens are ruining everyday life on Earth of the three-body problem um, and also some Michael Crichton. Uh, and I picked Annex by Rich Larson, which I just recently read. Uh, it comes with trigger warnings for transphobia, including some dead naming. And there's a little bit of body horror, so if, like, that's a thing that you're – really resistant to then i would skip it um i will say that this book is not in voices the main character is a trans girl um and the author is not trans uh it did have a sensitivity reader and has been pretty well reviewed as far as i can tell but your mileage may vary um so violet lives in a city uh that is experiencing like is in the middle of its post-apocalyptic survival um and what's happened is an alien race has appeared on earth um and has closed off the city so no one can get in or out and they have attached i don't even know i forget what they i think they call them crawlers in the book but they've attached these like little mechanical bugs to the back of the all the adults heads and put them into these kinds of trances it reminds me a little bit of the fever from severance uh, if you mm. read that book where the people are just like repeating the same kind of everyday actions over and over again but they're not actually present in their mind um, so the children are left to their own devices most of the kids are rounded up and implanted with what they call parasites which turn out to be very integral to like the survival of this alien species um, but the parasites give some kids superpowers and Violet is one of them and so is the other main character Bo Bo is a younger boy I think in the book he's 8 or 10 like that kind of age and the kids who have these parasites are kept in warehouses by the aliens as they like grow them Bo escapes and he escapes in a way that makes it really obvious that he has developed a superpower that none of the other kids in the city have and so he meets Violet and they team up um, with some other kids that they call themselves the Lost Boys and they like go on this quest to like avenge all of their family members against this seemingly indefeatable alien race um but also 
you know, they want to like save the world. And that's what they, they do. That's what they set out to do. Um, this very ragtag group of homeless children with no adult supervision, um, who are, you know, trying to survive everyday life under, while also like surviving these terrifying alien invaders, like space invaders. It's so tense. Like, intense yes but also tense like you spend the whole book like oh god what's gonna happen and like who's gonna survive and who isn't there's a terrifying villain who is like the peter pan of their lost boys um group who is you know he turns out to be like this cult of personality kind of 16 year old boy who like rules over everyone with an iron fist and is very manipulative and it's really weird um along with the villains of the you know the alien species who you eventually find out like are they villains are they just trying to survive are humans any better like lots of big philosophical questions which is a thing that shishen lu does really well so that's annex by rich larson nice uh i picked the outside by ada hoffman which also comes with a trigger warning for body horror and self-harm but if this person has read a lot of machado i feel Mm -hmm. like it's gonna be fine and the reason i picked this is because it is like there's this list is really interesting and it's a little bit like weird sci-fi and then it's a little bit hard sci-fi and i feel like the outside fits into there it's a really fascinating book because it is sort of a queer inclusive lovecraftian space opera which is a lot there's a lot going on here uh the main character yasira is an autistic scientist who is working on a new energy drive in this world um uh, artificial intelligence not only exists and, you know, technology, these AI have become sentient, but also they've basically become the gods of this world and they rule the galaxy and they limit the technology available to humans very dramatically, which means that humans are always trying to, like, improve stuff without crossing any heresy boundaries. And Yasira believes she's found a way to improve the lives of humans everywhere without doing that. But when they turn on her fancy engine for the first time, Time, everything goes sideways and now like perhaps tentacle monsters are coming and <laughs> people are behaving strangely and she is convicted of heresy but they tell her instead of just like executing her which is what she expects to happen they're like well you have perhaps accidentally called down some tentacle gods and also there's this other heretic that we're more worried about than you so like you help us fix this and we won't kill you or your girlfriend. And she's like, great, I have no options here. Cool. So it's about her trying to, you know, navigate this very complicated situation and, you know, deal with these AI gods and these agents who are trying to, you know, sort of basically imprisoning her until she does what they want and then trying to track down this other heretic who was her old teacher and there's mixed loyalties and there's just a ton of stuff going on. And it's really fascinating. It's a really interesting premise. And it is weird. And so uh, the world building is just so complex and multi-layered and fascinating. I just love it so much. And I feel like it will fit into this person's wheelhouse. So again, that's The Outside by Ada Hoffman. All right. Our next question is from Anna, who says, I'm a big fan of fantasy and YA fantasy and love a good, strong female man character I can connect with. Other books and series I love are Spinning Silver by Naomi Novak, The Winter Night Trilogy from Catherine Arden, and everything from Patricia Biggs. 
I read An Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir, but the torture and child abuse was too much. I started reading Uprooted, but was immediately uncomfortable with a young woman being kidnapped and abused from the beginning. I loved Moon of the Crusted Snow, which I heard about on your show, but I'm looking for something more high fantasy for now. Okay, I picked The Queens of Enos Lear by Tessa Gratton, which is the highest high fantasy that has ever hide. Like, it's <laughs> so... It's a retelling of uh, King Lear, the Shakespeare play. And... Tessa Gratton's writing style, I've not read her before I had read this, so I don't know if it's true across all of her books, but this is a very floridly written kind of high fantasy novel. It reminded me of, like, The Once and Future King. Um, the whole thing is written like a prophecy, um, and it's, like, 700 pages long, so it's a lot. Um, but it is somehow both that, both, like, really, really dense and prophetic and, like, almost religious text kind of reading, but also really engrossing and kind of captivating. You get really involved with all the characters. Um and they're all a little bananas because it's Shakespeare and it's a retelling of Shakespeare. And if you've read King Lear, then you, you know, you can get kind of an idea of what it's about. But it takes place on this island called Enos Lear, which is prophecy obsessed. Like everything in this culture that happens on this island is blamed on the stars or is give credit is given to the stars. So no one has to, you know, take responsibility really for like terrible things they do or terrible things that happen to them. It's, you know, the scars, the stars are their scapegoat. Um, and the king is getting more and more unbalanced and, like, mentally unwell. He's got three daughters who he's going to leave his um, kingdom to, but he is, like, waiting for this one prophetic knight to decide which one he's going to give the kingdom to. But while they wait for that prophetic knight to happen, he's getting in, you know, as he does in King Lear, more and more kind of bananas and dangerous. Um, And so the three daughters decide they're going to take matters into their own hands and try to figure out who's going to take over which parts of the kingdom, if they're going to divide it up or what they're going to do, all while, you know, being guided by the stars, but, like, also trying to determine their own destiny also is their romance for some of them yes but not for all of them um and like what do they do with that um you know some of them don't ever want to have children and like should they become how how are they going to carry on a line like all of these big questions about destiny and fate and um what's the lineages and all of that uh and it's also really very drenched in magic like it's magically drenched was the thing i was going to say but that sounded weird and then i said it anyway (laughs) um everything is wrapped up in magic um, there are a lot of wizards uh, and, you know, prophecies. Like I said, there's a great witch character. It's just like, it feels very Shakespearean. But if Shakespeare, um, I don't know, I was going to say if Shakespeare wrote in more fairies, but much do, but there's a lot of fairies in in a lot of his other plays. But if this one had, like, if King Lear had infinitely more evil witches, then I think it would it would feel a lot like the Queens of Enos Lear. Um, it's a great diverse cast of characters. All three of the daughters are biracial. Um there are a lot of queer characters. It's assumed, in my reading anyway, that unless stated otherwise, all of the characters are pansexual, uh, which was kind of great. So that's The Queens of Enos Lear by Tessa Gratton. Nice. So, Annie, you mentioned that you love Holly Black. And my pick is not exactly a direct comp for that, but it is high fantasy with really fascinating and complex female characters and relationships. And so it's more of like a sideways comp. It's Daughters of the Storm by Kim Wilkins. And this gets a trigger warning for harm to children. There's a moment that's very rough. I'm not going to lie. And this is a really fascinating sort of Norse high fantasy. 
And it is about five sisters who are all the daughters of a king. And they are not super close at the start of this book. One of them is the sort of war leader of the army and is very, like, super badass, but also, like, not good at feelings or people. And then there's another one who has been married off to a neighboring kingdom but is having an affair and is sort of, like, causing complicated things. She's very, she kind of doesn't care about the implications of her actions. And then there are teenagers who are being just the teenageriest. Um, and then uh, the youngest who maybe has a talent for magic that she's very afraid of and doesn't quite know how to deal with. And their father, the book starts off with their father falling ill from a mysterious ailment. Maybe he's been cursed. Maybe he just had like the medieval version of a stroke. Nobody's sure, but it's very complicated. And so they all band together to try to keep the throne and not let their stepbrother, who they consider very treacherous, uh, from seizing it. And uh, and they have to go on this, like, epic quest. And they don't really get along, uh, even towards the end of the book, which is really interesting. But they're all in it together regardless. And there's so many complicated, interesting, emotional moments. And then there is magic and there's swashbuckling. And (laughs) it is just, it's a really fascinating sort of different kind of high fantasy. It just, it's, I really loved it. I think it leans more into the historical angle than the magic. And I don't know how important the magic is to you. There's definitely some in there, but it is more on the historical side. But yeah, if you, like, if you're looking to dig into some complicated female characters in a historical medieval fantasy, like, this is your jam. So again, Daughters of the Storm by Kim Wilkins. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her adaptations, 
dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, I just talk forever now, apparently. So our next question (laughs) is from Katie, who says, I'm hoping to find a book that explores being non-binary globally and historically. Hoping for a nonfiction read, but a well-researched fiction book would also be great. Amanda, your turn. Okay, um, I did pick a work of fiction. I picked Freshwater by Akweke Emeze. And this is based on the author's personal experience. So it's a little autobiographical in that way that like fiction can often be. Um, And it is about a girl named Ada who was born in Nigeria. And she's born with this fractured sense of self and is a very difficult child, like a very difficult um, toddler. Uh, And as she gets older, it becomes more apparent that there is some entity or something or some person living within Ada. And not just Ada, not just one, but like more than one, several. Um, And they call in within Ada's own consciousness, they call Ada the Ada, which I think is really interesting and and strange. Um, It's a very unsettling read. And the older that Ada gets, the more these different parts of her consciousness take over and, and act for her. And the narration, the narrator, Ada, is telling you that these are because she was born as a um, like a deity, like half of a god. And so it's these spirits that have uh, taken up residence in her body from when she was a child or when she was, um, you know, an infant and are controlling her part of the time, uh, protecting her part of the time. Sometimes they have her best interest at heart, sometimes they don't. And she leaves um, Nigeria, moves to the U.S. to go to college and has a really traumatic experience. Oh, I forgot to mention trigger warnings for the self-harm and sexual assault. So she has a really traumatic experience in college that makes um, the spirits that live within her have even more control over what she's doing. And it sends her on this really self-destructive kind of um, spiral. And then one of the spirits named St. Vincent takes over and is um, expresses as male. And so Ada doesn't become, but it starts, begins to express gender fluidity and has um, like surgical procedures for that. And also, you know, has to deal with like, parental like disapproval and present how do I present in society and like all of these sorts of things and the the reason why I picked this one um is because the spiritual aspect of Ada's consciousness is kind of not kind of is a statement about the how colonized nations deal with mental illness and also deal with gender fluidity um so from you know if if Ada lived in the U.S. from a very early age they would have ended up in you know, psychiatric treatment for saying, like, gods live within me and I have more than one consciousness. Like, that is not a thing that people in Western societies would accept as reality, but it is a thing that the author accepts as reality and that is common in a lot of cultures outside of the West. And so our, as readers, our immediate assumption is, like, that's not, that's not real, but it's real outside of, you know, our own, our own cultural traditions. So who's to say? So, like, I picked it because the experience of being non-binary, it is global in the story. And it's also a statement about the like globality. That's not a word, but the global experience of being non-binary and how colonization has affected um, 
that lived experience and how it's made it so much about like mental health when it doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, and as a reader, it's really interesting to for somebody who doesn't have a lot of, uh, I'm not an atheist, but like, I don't necessarily believe that spirits come and inhabit people. Uh, but, you know, I'm an American. And so like, what do I know about Akweke Amezi's experience living in Nigeria and growing up however she said she grew up you know or however they said they grew up so it's a it, it's very conflicting like you, you put the book down and you're like oh i don't know i feel like a jerk for thinking that's not real but also it's not but it is but it's not i don't know i don't know i have questions and then you just sit with the questions forever that was how i have been uh, experiencing it i read it like two years ago and i'm still like i don't know i just don't know that's it's she's an amazing writer it's a really difficult complicated read None of this is my lane, so I'm just going to accept it and, like, sit with the uncomfortable, the discomfort of it. Um, yeah. So that's Freshwater by Akweke Yemeze. Nice. I picked Queer Magic by Tomas Prowers, which is a really interesting book. I'm reading it right now. And I will say that, like, the, t- the magic is literal in this sense. It's not just metaphorical magic. Uh, this comes from a, like, modern magic perhaps with a K tradition. Uh, But it is also a very interesting look at the mythological, religious, and historical traditions of cultures around the world in terms of how they handle queerness and how they address it. And so if you don't care about the magic part, you're fine. Like you can just, you know, skim through those parts because they're separated out. If you do care about the magic part, you will like it. Uh, But it's very interesting. Prowers is looking at, you know, I mean, so many different things here. The bits that I have read thus far have dug into, you know, ancient Egyptian and Mesopotamian and Sumerian mythologies, as well as Judaism and Islam and how queer people are regarded in those texts and what interpretations are available to us. Um, And I think that Prowers is being very or is doing his best to be very conscious of all of the possible pitfalls of doing this, right? Like, he knows he's writing outside of his own personal experience. Um, his heritage is, I believe, Irish-Mexican. And then he's also, you know, acknowledging that cultural appropriation is an issue. So, you know, just because you like the sound of a certain, you know, you know, piece of folklore or religious tradition doesn't mean that you just get to like take it and do whatever you want with it. So he's trying to be conscious of all of those things while still giving you the information that can empower you to feel connected to queer traditions around the world and from all of these different cultures. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky needle to thread. Um, and I think, uh, he is doing it as as transparently as he can and leaving room for you to be like, okay, yes, okay, no, you know. And also what I love is that he is also bringing in people from these cultures and religious and mystical traditions to give their own take on the material. So it's a very interesting, thoughtfully put together overview. And it's not concerned necessarily with all of the historical practices per se. I mean, he's touching on them, but what he's more interested in are these um, religious and uh, mythological folk stories and what they show about how queer people have been perceived throughout time. So 
It's a little bit of everything going on, but there's a lot of interesting stuff in here about, you know, transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, you know, gay, lesbian, et cetera, individuals and how they show up in ways that I, who am like a total history lover and have read a ton of this source material already have never considered. Like, I just never considered some of these things that he's pointing out and the way that some of these, some of this material shows queer people. And so that's really fascinating. And I think it's a super interesting read, no matter what angle you're coming to it from. So again, that's Queer Magic. Uh, The subtitle is LGBT plus spirituality and culture from around the world by Tomas Prower. All right. Our next question is from Tracy, who says, I seem to be drawn to Sweden-based books. I've read The 100-Year-Old Man Who Climbed Out of the Window, What We Owe, A Man Called Ova, The Girl Who series years ago, uh, A Nearly Normal Family, An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good, and The Dinner. I know the author is Dutch, but maybe it's a regional thing. That being said, I also read and loved Summer House with Swimming Pool. Um, uh, Let's see. Can you give me some suggestions of other similar books that might mirror these styles? Okay, I don't have a book. I have an author. I have Camilla Lackberg is just what I have picked for you. Um, Camilla Lackberg is a crime writer who is pro- probably the most popular crime writer in Sweden. All of her books have become huge bestsellers um, and are starting to be translated into English. So the first one and probably the most famous is The Ice Princess. It's translated by Stephen T. Murray. And the books are about a local detective uh, in a Swedish town called Patrick Hedstrom. And they are just, cri- I mean, they're crime novels, you know, like, I don't want to, I can't spoil the, um, I don't want to spoil the plots, but because there are so many of them. But if you liked An Elderly Lady is Up to No Good, and you said that she read The Girl Who, et cetera, et cetera, series, um, then I think that you will be down with these. And the thing that I love about Camilla Lackberg and about a lot of, like, Swedish and Norwegian and, like, Northern European crime um, is that the cold becomes its own kind of character. And the cold becomes a forensic tool or an enemy of the, you know, the, the people who are investigating crimes because you can't, like, if it's dark all the time, how are you supposed to look for clues? Or if it's freezing cold outside, um, great, it preserves a body. Like, stuff like that that would never occur to me when I'm reading a crime novel set in, you know, below the Arctic Circle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the uh, the way that the environment of Sweden and also the culture, like, the way that they talk to each other and the cultural norms and then like the things that are appropriate to ask strangers or not um things like that and how that affects the process of criminal investigations uh i just thought it was really fascinating and she's a really great crime writer like they're very suspenseful i'm never able to figure out who it is before the end of it but that doesn't say much because i can't remember a single time i've ever been able to figure out who (laughs) a murderer is in a book before the author tells um but yeah so if you like crime and it seems like you do i think you should definitely pick up her book so that's camilla lackberg All right. Mine is a little bit another one of these my sideways recommendations. (laughs) (laughs) It's Jagannath by Karen Tidbeck, which is a short story collection. And they are sort of fantastical, fabulous, magical, surreal in lots of weird ways. Uh, Comes with trigger warnings for body horror, issues of consent and suicide. But you have some really dark stuff in your list of books you loved, so I thought you would probably be on board with this. Um, It's how to describe. Like, there's so... (laughs) 
strange. I, you know, one of them is about a son who finds his father dead. His father is an alcoholic and, uh, you know, comes across him having died. And he writes letters like, you know, to his dead father, sort of thinking back to when everything went wrong. And that's, you know, a little bit more straightforward, sort of. But then there's a story towards the end. It is, I believe, yeah, it's the title story, Jagannath, which is about a bunch of humans who have lived inside like a giant being. They live in the being, and then the being is, like, dying, so weird body things are going on, and there's fluids and organs and stuff, and they have to decide, like, can they save the body, or do they try to escape? There's also one that's, like sort of cannibally it's there's like gross it's there's some really gross stuff in here but really interesting i like you i think you know regular listeners will know i'm pretty sensitive about body horror and i'm not gonna lie there are stories in here i was like oh am i gonna be able to keep reading this but she's also so good she's so good um and one of my favorite stories is Reindeer Mountain, which is about two sisters who end up going back to, you know, a house that's been in the family for a long time. And yeah, I think it's an aunt has died and now they need to clean out the house. And then there's a fairy heirloom and, you know, maybe there's magical beings in the hills near the house and maybe there aren't. And, you know, uh, their own family history of, of mental illnesses may be shaped by these magical beings, or maybe not. Maybe it's all just, you know, diagnosable due to body chemistry. Like, who knows? It's really fascinating and really strange and so atmospheric. I mean, if you want atmosphere, like, it is just dripping off of these pages. So, might be worth a try. Again, that's Jagannath by Karen Tidbeck. And our last question is from Ms. Stuck in the Middle. <laughs> I'm always so entertained when people do, like, you know, made-up names. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, multi-generational reading dilemma. My mother is a retired English teacher from England who is expecting my niece, six going on seven, to be reading all of the same quote-unquote classics that I was reading at that age. Charlotte's Web, Wind in the Willows, etc. I'm sure my niece will enjoy these books. I feel like there have to be some more up-to-date books that I can introduce to my mom and niece for their combined combined reading pleasure. Anything with kick-arse heroines would be appreciated, although my niece does have a five-year-old brother who likes to listen in on story time, so good male role models would also be great, plus good grammar and vocab, which is important for my mom's residual teacherly spirit. Uh, my mother, bless her heart, read me the whole of The Lord of the Rings at, a, at that age, so scariness is not really an issue. The main thing is a great story that all the generations of my family can enjoy. I'm just going to keep talking. I feel like a Akatawich by Nettie Okorafor is the modern classic that you are looking for. It does have harm to children, but you said scariness was not an issue, so here we go. It is about a young girl named Sunny, she's 12, who is born in New York, but then her family moves to Nigeria, which is, I believe, where her parents are from. And she is, you know, a fish out of water. She's also albino and very sensitive to the sun. And, like, all she wants to do is be normal and play, you know, football slash soccer with the other kids and, uh, you know, go to 
to school without being bullied, and she's having trouble accomplishing any and all of those things. And then she makes friends with these two kids who bring her into this world where magic is real, she has magic, and she becomes part of a group whose mission is to track down a man who has been kidnapping and, you know, maiming children uh, for his own terrible magical ends. So many people targeting children for bad magical ends in my (laughs) recommendations today. That was not on purpose. And so Sunny is, you know, now on this sort of amazing quest of discovery to figure out her own magic and how they can stop this villain. And also, you know, does she get to play with the other kids and find her own strength and fit in better in the process? And it's just it's so engaging and so well written. And I think your mom hopefully will get like a very big kick out of both the storyline and the new setting. And I think, yeah, it's totally got kickers, heroines, and there are good male characters as well. So there's a lot to love here. And that is Akata Witch by Nadia Okorafor. And there are two books in the series. The sequel is Akata Warrior. Okay, I picked Coraline by Neil Gaiman, which I think has a lot of the same kind of uh, feelings as a lot of the classics that she said your mom likes to read, like The Lion, the Witch, and the the Wardrobe, and Secret Garden a little bit. It is a portal fantasy, like The Lion, and the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Also, The Lion, and the Witch, and the Wardrobe is creepy. Like, Mm -hmm. I know it's supposed to be a biblical allegory, and I know it's a children's story, but it's scary. Like, that witch is scary. It's scary. Um, And Coraline is scary also. Uh, It was a little spooky for me, and I am 35 years old but my kids loved it i don't know maybe they just don't have enough spooky genes or maybe i'm just a weenie but (laughs) so it's about a little girl named Coraline whose uh family moves in to a new flat and she has counted the doors and the windows she's like super bored doesn't like it 13 of the doors are normal but one of the doors doesn't go anywhere like it opens and there's just a brick wall uh there and Coraline is a kind of i mean she's a pretty normal kid she's a little disaffected she gets annoyed with her parents for doing stuff like not letting her wander around the neighborhood whenever she wants and making food making food out of recipe books which is gross how dare they as opposed to like just ordering a pizza um and she says this thing that my kids picked up and say to me now like oh is this a recipe and i'm like if you do not stop i swear on all that is but my kids totally stole that uh and so she's like disaffected and bored and getting a little more irritated with her her parents as the book goes along and then one day the door with the brick wall opens and the brick wall is gone so she walks through the door and on the other side is another flat which makes sense right because it's a big you know it's an apartment complex um and it's her flat though and like the rooms are the same but everything is a little bit different like it's one or two ticks off like the food is better and her toy box has much better toys in it um and there her mother and her father are there but they don't look the same or act the same they have buttons for eyes first of all which is the creepiest thing that i've ever read in my life like you're in another mother with buttons for eyes um and they want Coraline to stay and be their child and like they will give her everything she wants but then she starts to realize and like she's into it at first like yes i can eat pizza and like these toys are better and this other mother is gonna let me stay up till 11 o'clock watching the x-files that's not real i just put that in there um and like do whatever i want um but then she Starts picking up on red flags and also missing her own family. And then she finds the spirits of other children trapped behind the mirrors, which is always, you know, a warning symbol when you go through a portal. Um, And then starts to understand that she's actually trapped in a really scary situation and wants to rescue the kids who are also trapped and get back to her life um, with her her, her real family. Uh, So it is a little bit like 
a lot of people on Goodreads have classified it as a horror novel, but it is a children's book. And I don't think that it's any more creepy than, you know, The Scary Witch and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And there are so many characters here. Anybody who's eavesdropping, I think, is going to be into it. It's an adventure. Like, you're rooting for her. Um, and Neil Gaiman is a very – I mean, he writes these fa- – he writes fantasy novels for, you know, readers of all ages. But he's a very um, – like technically correct, I think, author. So I don't think that her teacherly spirit is going to find anything to really argue with here. Um, so that's Coraline by Neil Gaiman. And that's our show. Tis. Yay. Tis. The last one in January because January is ending. <laughs> thank God. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Please go leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.